Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to continue our service together now, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to read the Bible. Um, Last week, uh, we prayed for the camp that was running Fun and Adventure. It was a camp that ran this week for teenagers. We had a bunch of teenagers go from Southside. uh, And just talking to the team that ran that camp and went along to it, uh, at Fun and Adventure this week, 17 teenagers put their trust in Jesus. So let's celebrate that. It's such a good reminder that God is doing work in His world, and we can be confident in that. We can take the boldness from that, and we too can move into our world as we think about our mission, knowing that God saves people. It's such an encouragement to know that truth. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to pray for that stuff. I'm going to pray for those people and pray to that end. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are not a far-off God that doesn't do anything in your world. But Lord, as we reflect time and time again, we see your work in our world. We see your work among us. Lord, first and foremost, we thank you that in history, we see where God entered into the world so clearly in Jesus. We thank you for Jesus who made himself known, who proved himself through signs and wonders, and then who laid his life down. We thank you for the death of Jesus, for the forgiveness of our sins, but we thank you particularly that death was not the end. But Jesus, that you rose and you conquered death. And now we can know because of that moment in history that you have defeated sin and death. We thank you for your work in our world. And we thank you, Lord, that your work continues in our world. We thank you that, Jesus, you gave your Holy Spirit to continue to work among us in great power. And, Lord, if we would look for it, we see your work in our world by the power of your Holy Spirit. We see this when people come to trust in Jesus. Lord, last week we prayed for fun and adventure, and this week we can celebrate that you answered those prayers. We thank you that the camp ran. We thank you that the kids could go along. We thank you that those who uh, went along who already have a faith were encouraged in their faith. And we thank you that there were those 17 who didn't know Jesus but now have put their trust in Jesus. Father, we know that that step for them is the first step of a lifelong journey in following you. And so we pray, Lord, that you would surround them, that you would hold them close, that you would give them a community and a people to encourage them and spur them on towards you. We pray that you would keep them so they can see you face to face at the end of their life and so they can know that hope that we have in Jesus. God, we pray that as we see this work and as we see what you've done this week, we pray that you would spur us on too. We pray that we would go confidently into our world, knowing that we are not alone, knowing that we are not the ones doing the heavy lifting, but that the living God is at work among us. And God, even though we are weak, and even though sometimes we fumble through our words and our invitations, and sometimes we don't know what to say, we know that the living God, the God of power, who raised Jesus from the dead, is the God who's at work with us. So God, would you give us that confidence And would you move us into action for your glory and the good of the people around us as we seek to reach 1% of our community. And we pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. We're going to read the Bible now. We are continuing in the kind of the Sermon on the Mount series that we're in. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through to 23. So if you have your Bibles there, I'd love to encourage you to have them open, although it will be on the screen behind me as well. And then Josh is going to come up and preach for us. So Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 13. Jesus says this, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Thank you, Ben. Morning, everyone. Uh, before we jump in, let's, uh, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be here today to hear your word. Thank you we can be here in peace and comfort. Um, Lord, as we read your word, we just ask that you help us to hear what you're saying to us. We pray that you'll move our hearts to respond to your message, and we pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So what do you double-check? We've all done a double-check at some point. A while back, my wife, Adriana, and I, we were going away for a week. We locked up the house, we got in the car, but before we could leave, I decided to check the door was locked one more time. Now, I totally knew the door was locked. I'd made sure to lock it properly the first time. I remember doing it. But I still felt better, more secure, checking it again. Now, plenty of us have done stuff like this, and, and really, as silly as I felt, walking back to the door that I knew was locked already, I don't regret it. It didn't hurt anyone, and it was something important that I wanted to be sure of. There's nothing wrong with double-checking. We do it all the time. We do it with small things, like when we double-check where the car is parked, so we can find it quickly later on. Or you might double-check an email attachment before you send it. I like to play video games, and uh, before I quit for the day, I always double-check that I've saved my progress. Uh, these are all pretty small things, but there's big stuff too. If you go bungee jumping, for instance, you're probably going to double-check that the rope is attached, maybe even triple-check. Uh, in hospital, when you're giving medications, it's actually proper procedure to have someone else check what you're about to give a patient. It can save lives. And what about eternity? Really, the biggest thing we can and should double-check is what happens after we die. And whether you've been in church a long time or you've never been at all, taking some time to think about where we're going when we die really, really does matter. So how can we know? 
How can we have assurance that we are saved? Well, this is where we find ourselves today, in God's Word. Now, in the previous passage we looked at, Jesus had just said not to worry about food or about water or clothing, but in the passage we're looking at today, Jesus addresses this problem of how we can know we are saved. And notice he begins with the answer right up front. He points us to life. In chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? If we want life and not destruction, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. But what does that mean? Is Jesus telling us, stay off the gateway, only travel on side streets? Well, it's not a riddle meant to confuse us, it's actually rather simple. It's what He's been saying throughout all of His teachings. Entering through the narrow gate is putting your faith in Jesus alone, and the wide gate is putting your faith in something else. The narrow gate points to what Jesus has done to save us, that He was born, He lived a perfect life, He died in our place and then rose again. The wide gate is pointing to what we do, our actions, our qualities, all the things that we think make us worthy of heaven. And we can see this kind of misplaced faith everywhere we look today. In the world of business, uh, the best thing you can be is a self-made success. Someone who, through their own efforts and tenacity, overcame the odds, made their dreams come true without any help. Someone who can say, I've made it. We see it in the religions of the world too. If we look to Islam, you receive eternal life through obeying the law. Too many sins, not devout enough, Sorry, that disqualifies you from getting into heaven. In Buddhism, the, the whole idea of how you reach nirvana is through meditation, labor, good behavior. They all say the same thing, that if we try hard enough, if we are good enough, we can get our reward and proudly say, I've earned it. Today, there's, there's a huge industry around self-help, this idea that we can be complete in ourselves. That if we just eat right and sleep right and buy the right books and know all the right mantras, we won't need anything or anyone else to help us. We'll be able to overcome any challenges in this life or the next. We'll be able to tell ourselves, I can do it. It's a huge part of our culture, this idea of doing things ourselves. Lots of us were brought up hearing things like, you only get out what you put in and first come best dressed or the old pull yourself up by your bootstraps, which I tried one time, nearly broke my back and bootstraps. Uh, it all supports this idea that whatever we want in life, we'll have to work for it, because there's no such thing as a free lunch. And some of these ideas even crop up in church. I've, I've heard Christians, myself included, saying things like, God helps those who help themselves, which is not actually in the Bible. And it's kind of the opposite of what Jesus tells us about how we are saved. Now, all these things are part of the wide road, the road to destruction. But Jesus makes, us, makes it really simple for us. He invites us to the narrow gate. Now, we know that life's not always that easy. The world's full of doubts and challenges, and this is no exception. So what does Jesus tell us about the challenges we'll face? Well, He tells us about two main challenges to find the narrow gate. The first 
It's what he calls false prophets. He says from verse 15, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, when Jesus says this, we know who he's referring to. These wolves in sheep's clothing, they they were the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees basically the pastors of Jesus' time. Their job was to point people to God, to keep them on the narrow path. But Jesus calls them false prophets. And what does that mean? Well, it means that they are leading people away from God instead. They should be teaching the people all about what God has done for them and and all that He's promised to do. They should be stirring people to love and honor God with all their hearts. But instead, they're just ticking off boxes. They sacrifice at the temple as required. They give a tenth of their goods and wages like they're supposed to. They pray however many times a day, and they tell everyone that the way to get to heaven is to complete these little rituals. That is what we do that can save us. They're leading people to the wide gate. So, for all of them back in Jesus' day, the false prophets were the Pharisees. You might be asking, what about us? We don't have Pharisees today, and and that's true, but we still do have false teachers. And Jesus says that we'll know them by their fruit. Now, of course, to know someone by their fruit can mean that we see through their lives that that they don't really follow God. We, We can see evidence that they haven't really given their life to Christ. But it's not always obvious in people up front. So, what he's actually saying here is the fruit you can recognize them by is the teaching itself. Remember, we're talking narrow gate, wide gate. If the teaching is not the very, very narrow teaching that you are only saved through what Jesus has done for you, then it's part of the wider teaching where your actions or qualities or discoveries had something to do with it. And when he says a bad tree cannot bear good fruit, he's saying that a teacher who teaches about the wide gate cannot point you to the narrow one. How could they? They don't know where it is. If they did, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be bothering with the wide one. Meanwhile, a good tree or a good teacher, well, they're only going to bear good fruit, which means teaching that we are saved by Christ alone. So that's the first warning Jesus gives. Beware of false prophets. Watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing. And that's a pretty scary image. But his next warning is actually something even more frightening. He warns us of a false security. In verse 21 to 23, he tells us, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's, he's saying some people are going to go before God 
thinking they are saved, but they're not. These people, they're, they're hanging out on the wide road. They are headed for destruction, but they think they're safe. They think that they are good with God. They have every confidence that they have eternal life, but they don't. Now, this is a huge deal. We, we really need to pay attention to this part because the terrifying fact is that any of us could be on the wide road and not even realize. And you might ask, why are these people not saved? They're calling to Jesus. They're doing great things in His name. They look like the model Christian. Why wouldn't God let them in? Well, it's very simple. It's because when they stand before God here at Judgment Day and He asks them why He should let them in, they say, because of the things I've done, not because of what Jesus has done. And that's the second warning for us today, that when we go before God and He asks, why should you have eternal life? If we say, because I served a church and I went to growth group and I gave every week and I prayed every night, that He will say, away from me, you evildoer, I never knew you. It hurts to hear someone say that your efforts aren't good enough. Um, we, we want so badly to be enough. And for the rest of the world, that is the expectation. But the truth is, when it comes to deserving eternal life in paradise, none of us are good enough. None of us can be. None of us can say, I've made it. None of us can say, I've earned it. And God has gifted each of us with individual talents and opportunities to do good in His name, but as far as our salvation is concerned, there's nothing we can do. There is only what Jesus has done. So what do we do with all of this? What does it really mean for us, and, and how do we see it play out in our lives? Well, one thing is, it tells us we don't have to have it all together. When you hear the phrase, enter through the narrow gate, it's easy to think of it as, as some massive test, some insanely difficult exam that we have to decipher. And, and it is a test, in a way. It's, but because God loves us so much, in His mercy, He sent us His Son, Jesus, to make the test simple. He's reduced it to just one question. And He's already told us the answer. Jesus tells us here that if we want assurance that we are saved, there's only one way to know, one answer that God will accept. When He asks us why we should have eternal life in His kingdom, the only right answer is, because Jesus has saved me. Through His works alone, He has saved me, because He loves me. And because of His love, this, this narrow gate that seems so restrictive at first, it becomes liberating. Because Jesus has done all the work for us, it means that we don't have to be perfect in this life. As individuals and as a church, we have the freedom to fail. As, as we aim to be godly in, in everything we do, at home, with our friends and family, we don't have to rely on our results to know that we still have a place in eternity. With just one answer, we can have assurance that our failures won't cost us our eternal lives. We can be secure in our salvation if we just put our faith in God's Son, Jesus. So you can see how we need assurance. 
And we need it now, today. We need to know what will happen after we die, because it affects the way we live our lives. But the most important moment of our life to have that assurance is when we actually face death. Because we all will. I want to be clear on that. All of us will face it one day. And on that day, we do need to be sure. I had the joy of, of witnessing this assurance in someone close to me. Uh, you might remember earlier in the year, I shared that my father passed away. It was actually one year ago today that he died. So today, my family will be spending some time together and remembering him, and there will be sadness, of course, but thanks to Jesus, there's also room for happiness. We can be happy because of what we saw in my father before he died. In his last days, as he prepared to stand before God's judgment, he wasn't busy listing all his good deeds. He wasn't writing a heartfelt plea for his life. In fact, he spoke about himself less and less. What he did speak about was the saving power of our Lord Jesus. He spoke about his own assurance in Christ alone. Now, I don't believe my dad died with any illusions of his own worth before God. He knew to put his trust in Christ. And because of that, because we saw him heading through that narrow gate, we get to be happy for him. We can have comfort and assurance, too, that, that when we go through the narrow gate, he'll be there waiting. And if you're here today and you're not sure if you have eternal life, I strongly suggest that you take this opportunity to double-check. If you want that assurance that you're saved, I'm telling you today, you can have it. It's as simple as turning a corner. All we have to do to be completely saved by Jesus Christ is accept Him as our one and only Savior. And we can do that right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for sending Your Son, Jesus, to save us. Lord, we know that we can't save ourselves. We know that we need You. We know that You are the only one who can bring us into eternity. Lord, pray today for the people who haven't had a double-check lately, who haven't thought about where they're going when they die, that, yeah, You just impress upon us the importance of choosing that narrow gate and rejecting the wide one. Lord, we ask everyone here today who, who wants that eternal life, who wants to be with you in your kingdom, we ask for your help in finding the narrow gate. We ask in your safety as you usher us through. And Lord, we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.